Welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. This episode is part of a series of programs in partnership with the Memorial University Graduate Course Folk 6740, Public Folklore, and the Craft Council of Newfoundland to document craft traditions in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. My name is Alina Sergachev, and today's guest is Terry Nichols. Terry is a self-taught mosaicist who has been creating mosaic art since 2000. His work is recognized both nationally and internationally. A Bachelor of Science graduate in Biology, Terry spent his professional career with the Government of Canada in the science and fish habitat management field. The experience of working in marine and freshwater environments has greatly influenced how he interprets the natural world through mosaics. We talk about his work, the process of making a mosaic, and how he reflects his province in his art. Uh, Terry, welcome to the show. Could you please tell me about your personal background and how it brought you into the field of the mosaic art? Uh, I first got interested in mosaics when I was a child. Uh, my parents had the foresight to buy uh, an encyclopedia for our family, and it was called New Book of Knowledge. And we didn't have very many encyclopedias in the school that I went to, so we were very fortunate to have one at home. And I used to see these amazing pictures of Roman mosaic floors and uh, cathedral mosaics in Europe. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. That's made out of stone. And it was just incredible how it was put together and how huge they were and just what magnificent artwork I thought it was. So that's first what got me interested. I became uh, a painter. I used to draw and paint, and I really enjoyed that all through my life, but I, I realized after a while that uh, I'm not really that good at this. <laughs> so I'd like to do something else. And I was watching the History Channel one day, and I saw this advertisement. And in the ad, it was a, there was an animation of the god Atlas with a mosaic world on his shoulders. And I thought that was absolutely incredible. So I said, I've got to do this. So I went out with no knowledge whatsoever. I bought some floor tile. I bought some tile cutters at the hardware store. And I went home and made my first mosaic. And then it was decided that I better learn how to do this. <laughs> so that's where it started. And that was 18 years ago that I did my first mosaic. So. Uh, I've learned a few things since then. So where did you go to learn it? I did it from my home. And back in 2001, uh, the Yahoo organization on the internet, they started uh, what's called groups. And one of the first groups that was formed on Yahoo was a mosaic group. And uh, so I joined it. And I was very fortunate to find out that those people were quite willing to share their knowledge. So if I had a question, I'd ask, and I'd get an answer. And uh, so from there, I learned, gradually learned the techniques that go into making a good mosaic. And I'm still uh, a member of that group. It's not as active as it used to be because other social media have taken over. But I found that mosaicists are still willing to share just as much. And uh, there's no secret about, you know, I'm not going to tell you how to do this. Someone will tell you how to do it. And uh, so that's very gratifying. Uh, 
and when people ask me how I do things, I'm more than happy to share. So that's the way I learned. Uh, in Canada, as far as I know, or in fact, in Canada especially, there are no courses available in mosaics. You would have to go to, previously you'd have to go to Italy, where most of the mosaic uh, schools are located. Uh, within the last 10 years, there's been several open up in the United States. Uh, a couple of them are run by friends of mine, who are now friends of mine. And so there is some formal education. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that people are taking advantage of that. And uh, they're learning better techniques than they would the way I did it. I learned the hard way. Did anyone in the province help you to study it when you just started? No. There was nobody in the province who did it. As far as I knew, I was the only mosaicist in the whole province. And uh, people found that kind of amazing because uh, I knew people in Great Britain. And I said, our province is actually larger than Great Britain. I'm the only person here. Who does this? And they said, oh, wow, you must have great sales. <laughs> But uh, not necessarily so. <laughs> But uh, they thought that, you know, because it's such a large area that we would have a lot of people that do that. And uh, I have met several in Newfoundland that do do it now, uh, mostly as hobbies. There is one or two professionals who work in the mosaic field. And uh, gradually, you know, people are becoming more interested in this. And uh, so hopefully we'll, we'll get more mosaicists here eventually. Is making mosaics an art or a craft? Ah, good question. <laughs> That's been a dilemma for mosaicists for decades. And I think uh, it's most recently sprung up because there's one uh, famous gallery in London. The curator, the curator there says, I will never have a mosaic in my gallery because it's not art. And of course, mosaicists take exception to that. Uh, one of the things that defines art is it's an expression of creativity and uh, craft as posed is something that is made with skilled hands and doesn't imply any cre creativity. So that's a basic distinction, one of them. Uh, I'll have to admit there are a lot of mosaicists who are crafters. Uh, they can make things for backsplashes, like in kitchens and things like that. It doesn't imply that there's any emotional content, whereas a mosaic artist puts their emotion into their work. So mosaic is both. There are probably far more crafters than there are artists. but. To say that it's one or the other would be wrong. Uh, I know quite a few mosaicists who are truly artists. They put their creativity and express it in ways that I could never express. And that expression comes across to the people who also view it. Uh, they get a, an emotional response. And that's the purpose of an artist, is to get an emotional response. Uh, crafters, on the other hand, uh, can reproduce things. So when you say a mosaic crafter, they can make the object more than once. Uh, 
they may have templates that they use to uh, do mass production. Uh, so uh, I consider myself a little bit of both. I like to think I'm an artist, and that's primarily what I try to create is artwork, which can be hung on walls. I do some 3D sculptural type things as well. But then again, I can sit down and do a bowl with just a geometric design on it with no artistic purpose other than to practice what I do. So, uh, you know, it's both. I see. Terry, could you please describe the process of making a mosaic? Um, there are a whole bunch of different ways. I use what's called the direct technique, which you uh, apply your material directly to a substrate. And so you can see what you're making as you go along. And that is my primary technique. There are also a bunch of other techniques. One is called the indirect, where you actually do your mosaic upside down. And you glue it onto brown paper with a water-soluble glue. You can't see what you're making. And it's the reverse of what you want. So you glue it onto the brown paper. Then you take it, you put adhesive on your final substrate. You take your whole picture and you flip it over and glue it onto your final substrate and then you remove the brown paper by soaking it and peeling it off. Uh, you never know what you're going to get that way. There's another technique called the double reverse where you do what I just described and you flip it twice. And uh, there's reasons to do that. Uh, if you want to do an indirect technique where you flip it over, you get a very nice flat surface. So if you're making a table and you want a flat surface on your table, an indirect technique would be appropriate. Uh, the work that I do with a direct technique, I like to get texture. I like to get different levels of my material. And so that's why the direct techniques works really well for me. Another technique that's used is to glue your mosaic pieces onto an alkali-resistant mesh. And if you're doing a very, very large piece, uh, you glue it onto the mesh, then you cut your mesh into sections for wherever you're going to install it. Uh, that makes it very light to ship. It's put together in sections, and uh, then you apply grout or whatever when you when you get to the final place that, that it's installed at. So uh, there's a whole bunch of different techniques you can use. How can you make something without seeing what you're making? I've never done it. <laughs> wow. Uh, one thing you have to be sure of is that front and back of the uh, pieces that you're using the mosaic are the same. And in a lot of cases, they're not. Uh, I have glass at home that one, one side is different than the other. So that's why direct indirect technique doesn't really work well for me because I like to see what I'm doing. And uh, with the double uh, indirect, you can see what you're doing. But it takes two flips of your mosaic to make it right.
How do you choose what materials to use, Terry? Ah. <laughs> I like to think about what I want to make. And I may do several sketches of it. I'll take out my materials, whether it be glass, stone, uh, pebbles, seashells, whatever, and I'll start to play with them. And I'll arrange things without gluing anything. And then I decide whether that works for me or not. And if I like the look of it, I'll say, I'm going to go with that. And so it's, it's sort of an experimental thing for me. Uh, I'll keep playing with till I'm pleased. And then I'll say, yeah, that's good. We'll use that. Can you please give me some examples of the materials that you usually use? Uh, yes. Uh, there's two types of glass that I use mainly. One is stained glass, like you see in stained glass windows, which is flat sheets. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. The other type of glass is called smalty. And smalty is the glass material that you'll see in the cathedrals in Europe. It's really thick glass, up to perhaps half an inch thick. It's opaque, and it comes in thousands of colors. And uh, I think the Vatican has the most extensive, extensive collection of smalty colors in the world, and I think it's running around 25,000 different colors now that they can make. And they have an extensive library of formulas that they keep uh, for restoration purposes. So when a, a mosaic needs to be restored, they know exactly how to make that color. I really enjoy using Smalty. Uh, it's quite expensive, uh, but that doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I, I enjoy it, and that's it. I also use stone and uh, mostly marble. Marble is easy to cut. I use granite, which is much harder to cut. Uh, I use travertine. I use uh, local Newfoundland pebbles. I'm always looking down <laughs> when I'm out on a walk. And if I see something, it goes in my pocket. And uh, once or twice a year, I'll go on a rock hunting expedition. And uh, I really like uh, doing that sort of thing with my grandkids. We'll go into a pond and say, oh, look at this rock, because they're wet and the colors are all shining. And we'll pick up a little bag of rocks and all. I'll put them into a mosaic later on, and they'll say, hey, we, we collected that. They really like that. So uh, those are the types of materials I use. Uh, but then again, you know, like uh, sometimes you might find some Lego blocks or anything. I, that's the thing about the beauty about mosaics is that you can incorporate any kind of material into your picture. And uh, as long as it works for you, fine. And that, that's, that's much more enjoyable to me than being confined to a paint set where you have paint, which is just a one kind of material. And I have this wonderful adventure with all these things. What would you recommend to the beginners? What's easier to work with? Uh, stained glass. It's far easier to start with stained glass. Um, learning how to cut it fairly simple. You only need a simple glass cutter 
and uh, most mosaics are comprised of uh, squares of glass. Uh, squares are easy to cut with stained glass. Um, so that's where I'd recommend they start with. And where can you get these materials here in St. John's? You can't. Unfortunately. <laughs> wow. You cannot buy stained glass in St. John's. There's no shops. Uh, there are one or two people that have limited amounts. Uh, most of the stained glass that I buy, I had to buy online. Uh, sight unseen, you hope for the best. Uh, I'm sort of lucky in that I use mostly opaque colors. And if I'm pretty close to what I order, that's good. Uh, you're just hoping that the reproduction on screen that you're looking at when you're ordering it is close to what you're going to get and a lot of times it's not because of the color variations and things like that so uh, I had to order uh, I order mostly from Halifax but I also order from uh, Portland Oregon where it's a very good factory there that I really like their glass so uh, I'm watching this coming across the country and going across the border and saying, when is it going to get here? Because <laughs> I want it now. <laughs> How long does it take them to deliver to you? It can take like a month. Wow, yeah. so long. And shipping is pricey too because it's so heavy. How expensive does it get if you don't mind me asking? Like approximately. Last time I ordered, I think uh, it was probably $200 just for shipping of uh, three boxes of 16 pieces each or something. So it's it's pretty pricey. Yeah. And of course that drives the price up of the mosaics that you want to sell too because of that. Uh, some of the glass is also very expensive. I have glass that's running around $37 a square foot, which is pretty expensive. <laughs> And Terry, could you please tell me how did the experience of working in marine and freshwater environments influence your interpretation of the natural world through mosaics? Oh, yes. Uh, I worked as a technician and biologist for the federal government for 32 years. Most of my work was on fresh and salt water. I did a lot of work in boats. I saw... A lot of marine life that I just found so tremendously beautiful. And not only animals like dolphins and whales and things like that, but I also did a lot of work with microscopes. So I saw the microscopic marine life as well. And the beauty in the, the patterns that some of these creatures have, it's just like, wow. And so I've done mosaics of microscopic life which I just found fascinating and I try to get the structures right I've done uh, whales uh, and a whole bunch of different things like that but I've also been appreciative of the environment that I'm in like wow look at those waves and look at that sun going down over the water and that influenced me a great deal and I'd always had my camera with me. So I'm fortunate enough to have some nice pictures that I can interpret. And I can look at pictures from 25 years ago and say, hey, I can remember that day. And I may just get interested enough to do a picture of that in glass. 
so I have lots of material to work with now. And so I, that's, that's the beauty of being able to work outdoors and uh, then go home and interpret what you, what you know. And uh, where I did study biology, I perhaps know a little bit more about that creature or that event or whatever's going on than most people would because that was my business, right? And how do you reflect your province in your art, Terry? Uh, well, because I, I've been to most of Newfoundland and Labrador. There's very few places I haven't gone to. I see beauty everywhere. It's a beautiful province. Uh, I, uh <coughs> when I'm doing my art, I don't necessarily try to do a particular place. I want to do something that's the feeling of what we see. So I had a friend of mine ask me a little while ago, uh, when I posted one of my pictures online, he said, Terry, is that old Perlican Island in the background? And I said, that's no place in particular, but it's every place we know. And I said, does that make any sense to you? And he said, that makes total sense because we've all seen those places and it's ingrained in us that the, this is where we live and so a lot of my artwork doesn't actually reflect a particular place but it's a particular feeling and it's the feeling I get when I see something and I hope to get that across to people when when they look at it and uh, when I posted that remark to him uh, it's every place we know. I had a bunch of people say, I understand that totally. <laughs> you mentioned in your blog that the lyrics of Ten Rogers' song Make and Break Harbor were the inspiration for the piece called Lost and Forgotten. It's a song about small communities that are now dying beside the water after being abandoned. So how do you translate an idea into an object? Um, I don't know. Some days it just comes to me. Uh, I'll wake up in the morning and say, hey, whoa, I think that's a good idea, and uh, I'd like to do that. I'll sit down and I'll sketch. Uh, I'll work on a sketch till I say, hey, that's basically what I'd like to do. Uh, in, in that Stan Rogers song, uh, my grandfather had been a fisherman, and he actually used one of those make-and-break engines. And I remember him going up the bay with the pot, 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 pot. And uh, so those things, like, all of a sudden it'll inspire you to, to do something like that. And uh, sometimes it just happens. It's just spontaneous. And I like that. It's <laughs> I guess it's from the experience of living here. And how long does it usually take you to make a mosaic? Ooh, <laughs> I would say that the minimum I've ever made one is one day. Uh, my average would be about a month. Uh, I've gone up to six months to make one piece. That piece was a larger piece. It had probably 50,000 pieces of glass in it. And so it's quite intricate. But I'd say two weeks to a month would be the average uh, to make one piece, which is a smaller piece. And I tend to make my pieces small because I like people to be able to afford them. 
Uh, larger pieces are going to be way more expensive, and uh, you know, probably people wouldn't be interested in buying it. So, <laughs> how large was your biggest object? It was about three and a half feet by two and a half feet, and some of the pieces were maybe two millimeters square. Most of the pieces were two to five millimeters, so it was a lot of cutting, and. Uh, there was a lot of trees in that piece, and it, it took a lot of work to to make them actually look like trees with pieces that small. So I took my time. And one of the things about uh, doing that is if you make a mistake, it's not easy to correct. <laughs> and I'll say to my wife, I took the chisel out this morning, and I had to chisel it away with a hammer and fix it. And if I'm not satisfied, I'll fix it. So that that slows you down a bit too. <laughs> and uh, what tools do you usually use? I use a uh, standard glass cutter like a stained glass artist would use. Uh, I use a dual wheel nipper, which is a, it's like a pair of pliers, except it has wheels on each side. The wheels don't spin, they just, they are stationary and you use it like a pair of pliers to cut your glass. Those, those are two of my most useful tools. Another tool that I use is the same tool that the uh, Romans used to make their mosaics and it's called a hammer and a hardy. And the hardy is a chisel which is basically embedded in the end of a log and the hammer is a hammer with a sharp edge on it. And that's used that to cut stone. And so that sits on my floor next to me. And that's how I cut my slabs of marble. And uh, you can do some very, very fine cuts with something like that. And I'm really happy that I can use the same tool that was used 2,000 years ago. And uh, quite a few mosaicists use them. Uh, my hammer is uh, a little bit different than the Romans in that one side. It's got a carbide tip, so I can cut the small teeth that I just talked about uh, uh, because it's also able to cut glass. So uh, it's a dual function tool. And those are the basic ones. Uh, some of the other ones, which probably wouldn't occur to even mosaicists, uh, toothpicks are one of my most popular tools because <laughs> I can clean up my glue because <laughs> I don't like messy work. So I'll go around the edge of a piece. If there's glue sticking out, I'll go around with a toothpick and clean it up. And so you make use of whatever you can find <laughs> a lot of times. Do you choose the materials only after you have an idea for a project? Or do you choose it first and then... Uh it depends if I'm going to do an abstract piece or a representational piece. Uh, usually if I'm doing something representational, I'll uh, choose my material first because I'm after particular colors or something like that. With abstract pieces, a lot of times I like to use stone and the colors are very limited. And in Newfoundland, the colors of marble are extremely limited. So you basically got black, white, gray, and nothing in between. So uh, with abstracts, I'll say, I'm going to make an abstract, but it's going to be in the gray zone, right? And so uh, then I'll say, I'm going to make this out of stone. And I'll put some glass in it as well, just to give it some color variation. And they actually both 
work quite well together. I really like working with both at the same time. Do you have any piece of advice for people here in Newfoundland who would like to do mosaics? Uh, yes. Uh, get on the internet <laughs> and start doing your searches. You will find people out there, as I said before, who are willing to share their experiences, their knowledge, and get you on the road to getting going. There's also a wonderful number of books out there that are available. Uh, and if you really want to get into it, go to Europe. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for coming here today, Terry. You're quite welcome. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening. <laughs>